This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you to Bajor Arata for using the, the location. It's my first and last time, I guess, here in this, uh, in this particular location, just because it's, uh, it's moving. So, um, all right, it's been, it's been a while. It's been a really, really long while, no? It's, I don't even know how many... That's the lot. Wow, it's yeah. been it's been a very long. So it's good to be partially back. I know it's still um, COVID precautions. So just everybody in the online world, everybody here is doing appropriate stuff. Uh, whatever that means to you, that's what it is. That's what's happening. Um, but in any case, we want to welcome everybody for joining live, and for those that are joining uh, virtual, and those that will join on the recorded one as well. Okay, so today, I hope that I'm recording. All right, let's see. Yep, I think I am. All right, so today we're I'm going to be discussing a very common topic, and, and even though it's, it's Anemuna and dating, it's not only for dating, it's not only for people in the dating world, it's really for everybody in the Aztec. We are going to plug in marriage as well also, but this, the, the reason why this is so important, because there are certain areas in life where it becomes... Uh, I don't want to say difficult to handle or burn out. There's different terminology that we could uh, we could use where people have a hard time coping with certain scenarios, certain situations. Dating is one of them. Uh, marriage is unfortunately another one of them. Panasa, you know, financial um, is also one of them. Health is also one of them. There's certain areas where it's good to discuss and how we are to cope and how we are to deal with these scenarios. So when you go look at the dating world, there is a wide array of issues that could come up. Let's say somebody goes and somebody doesn't get enough dates. They, they would like to have more dates, but they're not getting enough. Or on the flip side, maybe they're not getting anything at all. Uh, or it could be also that they're getting, but they're getting completely way off. Like they're going on a date and it has no, as we call it, shaykhis. has absolutely no connection to anything. There is probably what's the more difficult thing is where people go and they have they go on, out on dates, and they say yes. They actually like it. They like the other person. But the problem, where the problem lies, is that the other person says no, and this is very difficult for them. So you go out on a date, and you go out maybe in five, six dates, and you like the other person, but the other person says no, I'm not interested. So it's very heartbreaking, and, and it's it's difficult. Uh, but the truth is, when people talk to me about that, in those scenarios, you should be the most happiest. Because this is where somebody is going and it's telling you, giving you the answer. We're making a very, very heavy decision when we're going and deciding who we're going to marry. But this decision was made for you already. This decision was already made that, no, that this person said no. The point where it gets even more difficult for some people is, let's say somebody's going and is dating for 10 years, 15 years. And all of a sudden, the next door neighbor or their close friend didn't even start dating yet. And somebody like as we call it, under the table, you know, set them up on the date before they even ready for Shadokah, right? They set them under the table and already they're engaged. So here you are, you're sitting over here, you're dating for about two, three hundred years and you're waiting for somebody to finally come knocking on your door and here's somebody who's not even going on a date, didn't even go and put the resume out there, already they're getting married. So it gets difficult for people on how to handle it. Now this is not only for people, it also affects the, the families, the parents. Let's say a parent comes from a very well-respected family. They have everything going on for them. They think that they're, they put their kid on the market. Um, <clears throat> that sounds very commercial, but then they put their kid on the market that everybody's going to be knocking on the doors. And they tell the, they call the neighbors, be like, okay, my daughter, she's already on starting Shidduchim. She's waiting just for like, to be flooded. You know, the president's son, uh, whatever it is, you know, like the best of the best to come flooding down to your door. And no one comes knocking. And be like, what's going on? Do people not like us? You know how people unfortunately have 
their motors and their mind. Some people are more than others. Uh, those people we usually call paranoid. But generally, where, where they go, and they're all in their mind. Oh, to tell you how you figure out if you are one of those people, let's say you're walking down the street, and somebody's talking and looking at your direction. If you automatically think that they're talking about you, you're in that category. The category that, oh, everybody is always discussing what's going on in your life. So, the problem is the family is now going to feel like, okay, nobody goes, nobody likes us. I thought we're so well-loved. So we're well like the community, but no one's coming to knocking on our doors. Uh, the, where it gets even more complicated, and with this we could you know, start, this is just an introduction, is, and I'm only saying this particular scenario because it's happened before, where you have people that are dating somebody and they break it off for financial reasons. And it's not even the couple himself, it's the parents. The parents says, no, they don't have enough money, I don't like it, and they break it off. And then they go, and then they go, and they get married to somebody that's extremely, extremely wealthy. So it's very hard for the parents, especially also for the kid, be like, wait a minute, so now we have to deal with Parnassa difficulties, now also we have to deal with this difficulty, so it seems like everything is coming crashing down. So when you're dealing on a munan, specifically in areas of dating and marriage, it becomes very, very difficult. It's sort of like you're in the ditch, and like, how, how am I supposed to deal with it? When, the thing, when, when things in life get hard, that's when you need the most help. So in certain areas, like, like we said, like dating or, or health or financial areas, these are very, very important areas to focus on emunah and bitachon. Now the Gemara and Shabbat goes and tells us that God provides not just for human beings their sustenance, for every single animal, every single being, every single creature, every single plant, there's water that falls in to be exactly what it's needed. You go into, the, let's say, a forest, and you go into where like no man has never stepped before ever. There is God supervising that area, and the ants under it, and the snakes under that, and the, whatever you know, is, is living underward. Everything is orchestrated and run by, by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. However, sometimes we get sidetracked, and we feel that you know, maybe it's really our scenario, our situation. So for example, let's say somebody goes into business. So they feel, and they, let's say they're not successful. So they feel because they went into this business at the wrong time, or maybe they went to the wrong location, that's why they're not successful. Or maybe they go and they try to sell a certain product. And this is something that's very common. You have people, especially nowadays where you have the Amazon, you know, the Amazon age, where people are going and selling everything or anything on Amazon. And you think, okay, you know what, I'm going to sell this item. And you sell that item, you try to sell the item, you're not successful. And you think, you know what, because I made a mistake, I got the wrong item, and that's why I'm not successful. It has nothing to do with the item. Yes, you do your research before you go and you sell something. But there could be the same person on Amazon, isn't that, bless you, that goes and they sell the same item, and they're going to be extremely successful. And they're going to, because it doesn't matter on the item, it doesn't matter on the location, it doesn't matter on your business model. Yes, all these things are very, very, very important. But it matters one thing and one thing only, and that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. God wants you to go and be successful, be very wealthy. You'll be wealthy selling plastic forks. God doesn't, doesn't want you to go be wealthy. You could try to sell gold, no one's going to buy from you at a discount. So it's... All on, depending on what is that God wants. If God wants you to get married now, so then yes, you will get married now. Of course, and this is something that we're not going to be really focusing on today, is the, the aspect of like where your fault is. Like let's say you're too picky or you're not picky enough. Or all those areas for a different class. The Torah tells us that when the Egyptians went and the Egyptians drowned in the sea, 
each, the, all the Egyptians were in one same area, yet each one got their own punishment. The wicked Egyptians, the one that, that caused a lot of suffering to the Jewish nation, they suffered longer, meaning that they went and their, their drowning, you know, scenario was much more painful than those that were not as, as bad to the Jewish nation. So meaning that in the same ocean, in the same waves, you had somebody suffering more, somebody suffering medium, somebody suffering less. Because God could orchestrate everything. You could be in one scenario over here, and God is building that exactly for you. And it's very, very important for us to think about it that way, because we feel like, okay, you know, maybe if I could have done this, maybe if I should have done that. Sometimes it's healthy to think about that. But it's not, you know, people, especially people go, okay, if I had more money, if maybe I looked a little bit better, or maybe I had a better personality, well, some of those things you could change. So maybe you should. But the, the general idea is that you have have to realize that if God put you in a certain situation and God didn't put you in a, in a uh, marriage situation yet, then you should know that this is where you need to be. And it's very, very important to, to think about this, especially when people call it the burnt out. Um, I don't know if you know, uh, anybody here knows what I'm, t- I'm talking about, where people go and they date for a while and they just get so burnt out. They get people out of left field. They're like, you know what? Where are people setting me up with these weirdos? Like, why are they coming in with two pairs of glasses? Like, why does this person have glasses for his checkbook? You know, like, well, first of all, that's already an issue. If someone's coming out, you know what? I should stop talking. Can we say that? If you're on a date and someone takes out a checkbook, red flag. It's not a red flag class. Okay. So anyways, so, <laughs> yeah. so the Sefah Haridim, goes and says that, you know, God orchestrates everything, that even to the extent that sometimes a person is created in a sense that he's going to be wealthy or she's going to be wealthy because the zivuk comes from a very wealthy family. Or the flip side, sometimes they're going to go and they're not going to have any money because their zivug is somebody that's not supposed to have any money. And people usually are, you know, try to get into their status. So if someone has a ton of money, he's not going to go, generally speaking, marry somebody on the lower end of the spectrum. So what God will do is God will create that person either, something very fascinating, that person who's very, very wealthy could lose the money for a short period of time. And then that person will go and feel himself on a lower level and they'll go marry, then, then they'll end up marrying their, their bashar, their, their zivug that they need to. And this is uh, something that actually, you know, happens more often than you think, is where people go in, in the realm of, let's say, looks. People are very, very, very particular in looks, especially from the, from the men's side. And, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not, we're, not, we're not discussing that. But where there was once a guy who only wanted the top of the top of the top of, of you know, the supermodel, supermodels, whatever is higher, whatever it is, the highest of the high. And um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting any dates. So his rabbi, what his rabbi started to do, he set him up basically with a, a cripple over here. <laughs> and then set up with somebody that, you know, weighs about 7,000 pounds. And, you know, somebody else has a beard. You know, and he goes on it and he's like, he's like, why am I getting these dates? Why am I, are these who they think that I am? So all of a sudden it shot his ego down. Then finally the rabbi set him up. It was like a decoy date. Oh, that's probably so mean to say that, right? And be like, hey, can you go out with this guy just to lower his ego? So there was a, there, finally when they set him up with somebody that's more or less on his own, he's like, oh, Baruch Hashem, something over here. And then he went and then he got married. So sometimes God even manipulates the situation to put us in the right, right mindset. So either no money, a lot of money, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, sometimes there's a stage where you're not getting dates for a very long period of time. That could be because that's going to build you up to what, to where you need to go to find the right person. Because if you would have met that right person, 
and you are in, a right, in the mindset that I could just get anybody that I want, you would have said no to that person. So God orchestrates the entire scenario so that you will go and, and meet the right person. The, Question. Yeah. What if Hester Shalomim, you think you met the right person, but then Hester me get like a divorce? Oh, okay, so we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that. Yeah, I, I actually do want to discuss, and that's what we're going to, there's other time to speak about. So, there was a story with um, Rabbi Ruvain Elbaz about one of his students that he had a student that was a Balchuva, and he was like, like a serious Balchuva. Like, he went from like zero to a hundred in like three seconds. He was really like full on and like sincere, like a really good guy. And uh, as the time goes by, he becomes more serious and, and it's, he's more, you know, I guess a stationary is not uh, fluctuating in his life. And he decides it's time for him to go and start dating. And he starts getting dates from here. He starts getting dates from there. And nothing's really working until finally he finds a girl that he feels is perfect for him. And they go and they're about to get engaged. They go on many dates. They're about to get engaged. And suddenly she breaks it off. He comes to this Rebbe in tears. And he's like, Rabbi, he's like, he's like, I, I can't. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't know why, why did this happen? I did everything right. I went and I sat and I learned. I went and I did everything that I was supposed to. I went on the Shulchim, I asked the right questions. I, everything I did was correct. Why did God do this to me? And his rabbi said, listen, I don't know the plans. But one thing I tell you what happened, it's all for the best. And the kid, the, this, this guy, he was such, he was such a high level that, Every tear that he had, he wanted to utilize it, which, by the way, it's a good lesson to take out. If you're in a situation where you're, let's say, crying or you're in a sad situation, open up at the end, utilize those tears. You have gold tickets right here. So he's like, you know what? I'm crying over here. I'm very sad. I want, I want to, like, let it out. Sometimes, I think women could, could, you just need a good cry. I don't know if that, you know, like, I think it's more like a woman thing than a man thing. You know, like, sometimes you need, you know, and if you're going and you're going into your closet, and you're having your good cry, do it with a tehillim, do it with something that you're going to be able to go and utilize those tears. So this person knew that, and he went and he said, you know what, let me go and let me utilize these tears, I'm going to go to the koto. He decided he's going to go to the koto. So he's walking to the bus stop, and as he's walking to the bus stop, there is a car that pulls up beside him, rolls down the window and says, excuse me, you know, we're coming, we're visiting from out of town, can you uh, tell us how do we get to the koto? So he says, oh, I'm going there. I could just uh, take you. So the guy says, okay, welcome. Bahavad, you know, come sit over here and show me how to go. So he sits in the car. It was a guy and there was two women in the back. And uh, the guy is the driver's husband and the driver's sister. And while they're sitting over there, so they're starting to talk. He's like, oh, which yeshiva are you going to? And they start talking and then they start talking and learning. And it was a very pleasant ride. And they get to the Kosovo. When they get to the Koso, the wife in the, in the backseat goes over to this guy and says, you know, if you don't mind me asking, are you by any chance dating? And he says, you know, yeah, I, I actually am dating. And she's like, are you, are you available? And he's like, by a, so, so it just so happens to be, I'm very available. <laughs> so he goes, she goes to him and says, you know, I have a possible shidduch for you. And that was the other girl that was sitting right next to her, which was her sister-in-law. He says, maybe it will be something. So, you know, they were very impressed with his midot, with the way that he spoke and learning, the, just his overall character says, you know, maybe we could set it up. So he says, okay, you know, like, you know, it's great. They had their date that night. No preparation. That was the thing. Uh, and uh, and um, a short while later, they ended up getting married. And when this guy goes over to his rabbi, this, this student, he says, you know, I didn't realize what a chesed God did for me. He says, if I would have married, the, the wife that I have now is so much better than what I would have gotten beforehand. 
where the problem lies is, is where people start thinking the wife that I would have got was so much better than what I got right now. But he was smart, and he says, the wife that I got right now is so much better than what I had before. And he's, and, and the rabbi goes on and says, don't you see? He says, God was orchestrating the entire scenario. You had to be in a certain emotional state. You realize that you act differently when you're in a different emotional state. You are, you, you react also differently when you're, when you're in a, uh, when your mindset is different. He had to be where he had to be emotionally, physically, intellectually, everything. God sort of spilled, put, set up the dominoes exactly where it needed to be. And then put, God put in his mind that he has to go to the Koso. And look how he found the Shidduch. It's so unbelievable when you hear the stories of Shidduchim. When you hear the stories of matchmaking and how, when you have two shatchan, it goes, okay, you marry, okay, that's fine. But when you have like, you know, someone's on a plane and then they get stranded on an island and they meet a cousin and then they go and the cousin has a dog and the dog knows somebody and then finally they go and they meet somebody. Those things are all orchestrated the same way as if there's a shatchan there. It all comes directly from God. But then Rabbi Victor Miller goes and asks. He says, so the question, the million dollar question is how much effort should a person do in shidduchim? So you have over here, we know that everything, everything is in the hand of, of heaven. In fact, the Gemara in uh, Moed Katan tells us that 40 days before a child is born, it's already decreed who is going to marry who. So the question that we ask is that, okay, so then why do I have to go now and have to do any shtadut? It's already decreed and who am I supposed to marry? So let me just go wait until my husband or my wife goes and knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm here, let's get married. Why don't we just do that? Or maybe we should have Ishtadut, and if so, how much Ishtadut do we need to, uh, that, that we need to have? So, Rabbi Victor Miller goes on and says, he brings the Gemara, brings three proofs, three psukim that back it up. Pasuk number one, that shows that everything is from God, that shows that, that every match is made from heaven. The Pasuk number one is from Bereshit chapter 24 verse 50. It says, Mahashem This is when, when, um, Eliezer goes over to, uh, Lavan and Betuel and say they want to get Rivka as, you know, as, as a wife for, uh, for Yitzchak. So, the, what did Lavan and Betuel answer? It says, they say, they answer already, Mahashem Meaning that this was already ordained from heaven. So that's proof number one that all matches are already made in heaven. Proof number two is from Mishlei chapter 19 verse 14. It says, Mehashem Isha Maskelis. A wise woman is a gift from God. Which by the way, says Rabbi Victor Miller, you see over here how important it is to be a wise woman. And how important it is to find a wise woman. Now a wise woman doesn't mean that you have degrees. And it doesn't mean that you go and you're able to learn a lot of Torah. That, uh, that's not what, the, what a wise woman means. A wise woman, woman is Chachmas Nashim Bansa Besa. The, the Pasuk in Mishlei says that the wisdom of a woman built her house. What's a wise woman? She knows how to deal with her husband. She knows how to deal with her children. She knows how to deal with herself. She knows how to deal with God. That's a wise woman. Knows how to deal with the situation. Knows a, a woman is like the president and the CEO of the house. And they have to know how to deal with those situations. And that takes wisdom. It can't... I don't want to say the word manipulation, but manipulation. <laughs> you know, I think that pretty much sums it up. Not that you have to manipulate your husband, nor did we ever give a class on this. Um, the, oh, actually, I gave it to the guys. Um, I have, well, no, no, I'm not talking about. So there is, there is a wisdom on not getting what you want, but knowing how to get where you need to get to. That makes sense. So those uh, the difference of, of of what I said. There there is a way of of saying you know we should do something or I want you to do something. So there's different ways of getting. So you need wisdom for it, and that's a blessing from God. That's a blessing from God. That's number. That's proof number two that everything comes from God. What is that? Because there's a gift that comes from God. And what is that? A wise woman. And finally, the third proof, which is an interesting proof, is that it brings the the shimshon. 
What is the story with Shimshon? Shimshon went and he married a plishti woman. He converted her and he married her. Now his, his parents goes and says, why do you have to go and marry somebody from the other side? Why do you have to go and marry somebody that's from the uncircumcised nation? Meaning they're from the non-Jewish nation, even though he converted her. So what did Shimshon answer? Shimshon answered that she was good in my eyes. And in fact, the Pasuk in Shoftim, chapter 14, verse 4, says that this too was from Hashem. It says, That his mother and father did not know that this too was from God. This too was from God. So the question is, what happens later? Look at Shimshon's life later. Shimshon goes and he gets captured by the Plishtim. And not only did they capture the Plishtim, they took out his eyes. And he's sitting over there without eyes and he's thinking, why did God do this to me? Look at the difference to how, how righteous people think. Why did God do this to me? And you know what he came to the conclusion? He came to the conclusion because he looked at this Plishti woman and she, he saw that she was good in his eyes. Also, measure for measure, you saw that she was good in your eyes, now you're not going to get the eyes anymore. And the Gemara Sota, page 9b goes and says, because Shimshon followed his eyes, that's why the Plishtim took out his eyes. So the question that Rabbi Victor Miller asked, says, how is, why are you bringing this as a proof to go and show me that everything is from God? If everything's from God, and this too, this case where Shimshon went and married this Plishti woman after he converted it was too from God, then why did he get punished? He did everything that he was supposed to. This was, this was from God. And the answer is something that is very, very important. A little bit controversial, but very, very important. Says Rabbi Victor Miller that, maybe I shouldn't say, it's not controversial, no, take that back. Says Rabbi Victor Miller that it could be, you know why God put that the situation? That he should not take her. Meaning that God put the situation in, in, in play to the extent that he thinks that she's the right one. You know, you, sometimes you have that feeling I'm going to marry this person. I don't know if anybody here does, but sometimes you have that. People that are married hopefully have that feeling. People that are not married hopefully did not have that feeling. But generally, that's what, you, you know, it's like, oh, so you have this like feeling like, okay, this is it. And says Rabbi Victor Miller, just because you have that feeling and just because you feel this is most suited for you doesn't mean that this is the right one for you. It could very well be that there's more to it than that. And there's other considerations that a person needs to take besides attraction, says Rabbi Victor Miller. Victor Miller, how he explains that, that Shimshon over here, he saw her and he wanted her, even though, even though, you know, again, we're not comparing us to, to Shimshon. He was uh, on a completely different level. And he had righteous reasons behind it. It wasn't based on attraction. The, 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 the underlining story to the story was that... Wow. He thank you. So that he went and I agree. So he went and he the the relationship between the Plishtim and the and the Jewish nation was was you know there, we were being basically uh, you know sort of uh, persecuted by the Plishtim to a certain extent. It wasn't outright war, but it, you know it, there was there was persecution. There was there was problems. So what was Shimshon's, Shimshon's uh, you know, uh, thought process? His plan was sort of to infiltrate them, to become friendly with, their, with the cousins and the friends and the family and the, of the high level, and this way manipulate it and bring it out to a good relationship from the back end. So he had righteous thoughts. He had a kosher mindset. However, still God was not satisfied with that. Hashem was not satisfied with that. So Hashem put in his, in his, in himself in this situation that he would be in that situation where he would want to go and marry this person. However... This is something very, very important. And it's very important that sometimes the right, the right answer is to walk away. And not to go and follow with it. So this, says Rabbi Victor Miller, this, by the way, throws the whole, the whole easiness of Emunah Bitachon right, right out of the picture. It completely throws it. Because right now we're saying that everything's from God. And now here we say that, oh, everything's from God, but you've got to be careful. Because you can mess it up and you can marry the wrong person. And this 
is Rabbi Victor Miller says that this is how you have to act. You have to act when you go out on dates that it depends only on you. And it doesn't depend on God. It depends only on you. But there's one qualification, says Rabbi Victor Miller, that you must constantly ask God for help. You're constantly praying. You're constantly, it depends on you. It's all your hishtadlut, your effort that you're putting into it. But at the end of the day, it's all from God, which seems like it's contradiction. And this is where prayer comes in. Because this is where you go and you pray. There's not a single tear that is, that is wasted. Rabbi Victor Miller goes and explains this. When you go and you get married, there's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to build a Jewish family. When it comes to mitzvah, you don't rely on God. You take it into your own hands and saying, this is what I need to do. Of course you need to ask God for help. Of course you need to go and you need to pray. But this is something that you have to do your own nishadlut. And this is something very important. We can see this in every other aspect in our life. If you're going and you're, you're going to go eat something, you don't just say, okay, I have a munah and bitachon that this is kosher. No, you gotta you know look at the look at the packaging, find out where it is. Are you picking it up from a place that maybe the hashkacha is a little bit low? So you have to find it out. You can't just have a munah and bitachon that everything is kosher. You can't put on for a man can't put on tefillin and say, okay, I'm sure that it's kosher. No, you have to check on it. You have to make sure. So just like everywhere else in our life, we have to do our ishtadlut. So too in dating and marriage, we have to do our ishtadlut. But this brings us to a question that you asked earlier. What happens? So you think you do the own So maybe I did my own ishtadlut. I did my own effort. And I married the wrong person. Maybe I messed it up, and maybe I married the wrong person. So, Rabbi Zalik Rubinson brings down that there's a mitzvah, this mitzvah is that you're not supposed to stray after your eyes. The simple understanding of this mitzvah is you have to guard your eyes. However, it also works in, in a sense that God oversees every single thing that happens in this world. And if you feel for one second, for one moment, that God is not, it's your fault, it's all on your head, that is a contradiction to how God runs the world. And if you're contradicting, this is already, you're violating, don't go after what you think you see. You think you see, it's my fault. You think you see that, oh, I married this person, I really made a mistake. No, no, no. If God put you in a situation, you should know. But yes, there are certain scenarios that a person needs to get divorced. Yes, there is, and that's why the Torah puts you know, the, the, the option of divorce. But if you are in a situation, that means that you need to be there. It's very, very unhealthy to go and to live in a situation to thinking that maybe I married the wrong person. And I can't tell you how many people I speak to that are in this scenario. And no matter what, I'm like, no, if you got married, this is what you need to know. Anybody who's married, if you're married, you are meant to be married to this person. Now you're going to go and figure out, yes, like I said, there are certain scenarios that a person needs to get divorced. There are certain criteria where a person can get divorced. But if you are where you are in, that's because you're supposed to be there. Now the question is, how are you going to go and how are you going to deal with that? So there's a very fine line over here. And let's try to make this very, very clear. Yes, we have to put in our effort. Yes, we have to do our ishtadlut. But at the end of the day, you have to know that everything is from God. There's a story from... The Chidush Arim, the Chidush Arim, it was, uh, he was finding a suitable match for his daughter. And he was a big rabbi. And one of the things he wants to make sure that his son is somebody who's well learned, knows how to learn Torah, knows how to go and, and, and delve into the, the holiness, the purity of the Torah. So it was common that when you go, you would sort of take, uh, you know, the rabbi or the, this, at this point the father would ask you questions about what you're learning to see how you're going to go and how you understand the concept. So there was a certain boy that was set up with this, uh, with this girl. And he had a long trip, and he decided that he knew that he was going to get like tested by the father, which is also a huge rabbi. So he decided he's going to bring his gemara, he's going to study along the, the, the road. And he goes, and he takes his gemara, and as he's walking, 
the Gemara wasn't bound. It was just a bunch of papers that were tied together. And then the big wind came and it started blowing everything away. Pages fell into the mud. It started blowing away. And he was able to get only one page of the Gemara. That's all he was able to say. Didn't know what to do. So he's sitting on this long journey. So he kept on studying the same page again and again and again. And this was Mesech Baba Metziah. Now, he goes, and by the way, just so that you should know, Baba Metziah has 119 pages. And he only studied one page. And he goes over there to meet the girl. And he meets the father. The father says, so what are you learning? He realizes that. He says, I'm learning about Metziah. And he's like, okay. So he takes out a Gemara and he says, you know what? The rabbi is thinking he probably checked in the beginning. He says, I'm not going to check in the beginning. He just opens some random page. And he starts, the rabbi, this, this father starts asking him a question on this, on this random page. And it just so happened to be that this was exactly the page that he memorized. And he knew everything backwards and forwards. That's the only page that he was learning for the, his entire journey. And the father's like, wow, this guy's a genius. Meanwhile, this guy is not the best learner. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. He got the right thing. You know, it, what's the lesson of the story? That God orchestrated in a such, such a way that he, he made it that you're going to study only one thing and that's what the rabbi is going to test you on because you need to marry this person. And because of that, God is moving all matches, making all matches happen because you are meant to be with this person. Just like the other story where you're in the, the, this guy was in an emotional state, everything happens from God. It is so healthy to live this way just for your emotional well-being, that everything happens for God. Your life works completely different. Your day is completely different. There are so many aspects to your life that has benefit a hundred times with, with dating. So you're dating a person and maybe it doesn't work out. Okay, so this, is, this too is from God. How, how much of a relief is that than, okay, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have done that. Yes, you should learn with your mistakes. And this is where the fine line is, is where your effort is and where it is from God. So the simple way to understand it is you do what you need to do. After the fact, you have to accept it. Not that you shouldn't learn from the past. And not that you shouldn't correct yourself. But where you are right now, that's where God wants you to be. So if you're single right now, that's where God wants you to be. Oh, but maybe you have to be less picky. Maybe you have to broaden. it. Yes, maybe. And you definitely should if those are the scenarios and teach their own. But where you are is where you're supposed to be. The concept over here that God makes... Shiduchim, Zivugim, is not only to marriage. It's to every aspect of your life. And I'll tell you, you could even think of it like this. There, to, for everybody here who's sitting in this room today, how did you get here today? Not like how did you get here driving-wise. Think about like, so some of you may be on the, on the chat, and that's how you find the class. Some of you saw an ad, or whatever it is. And how you, but how did you get to the chat? Like how did you get there? You met one person and that person. There, God is literally making Zivugim to, to matching from all different angles, not just marriage, your own personal relationships with your friends, your, well, not your family, because that you were born to, but your coworkers, your school, everything happens because God is orchestrating that you need to be next to this person, you need to sit next to her, and you need to, there's everything that happens, happens with a divine plan. There is, um, in the early 1900s, the Jews in Eastern Europe realized that, well, they didn't realize, uh, they knew all along that it wasn't, you know, getting really, cushy for the Jewish people out there, and they started uh, trying to move out, and one of the places that they were trying to run away to was America, and uh, there was one particular family that had eight children, and uh, the, the oldest of the eight children, her name was Anya Gold, and this Anya, she, her parents raised enough money then in the early 1930s, are going to ship her out to America to live with her aunt in Baltimore. And then slowly, slowly, as they raise enough money, because it's very expensive to travel, as they raise enough money, they'll send one kid after another kid and after another kid. So she goes and she travels and she gets to, uh, she gets to uh, Baltimore. 
and and she's you know living over there with her aunt and uncle. And the parents, meanwhile, are trying to raise more money to go and send the other kids also to America. But it was very difficult. The money wasn't uh, wasn't something that they had a lot of. And before they knew it, the Nazis came in, and Nazis took over, and the Holocaust began. And it wasn't until 1946, where after the Holocaust, there was a bunch of few survivors that ended up coming to Baltimore. And Anya goes over to them and says, maybe you know my family. They were all supposed to come here like 10 years ago, and I haven't seen any of them yet. Until, you know, the more that they asked, the more that she realized that her entire family was wiped out. She was the sole survivor of her family. And she was devastated. It broke her. You know, such a big family. I had everything, and she, and she couldn't live with herself. And her thing that kept her going was the fact, you know what, my goal in my life is I'm going to build a family, and I'm going to have many children, and I'm going to name each child after another one of my siblings. And she goes, and she starts dating very seriously, and she finds an amazing guy, Shal. And they go, and they get married. And they try to have children. And a year goes by, two years goes by, three years goes by, and they're not able to have any children. They go to the doctors, and the doctor's running some tests, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, you know, it doesn't look like uh, you know, this is going to happen. I would suggest to consider adoption. And they're toying with the idea back and forth. They really wanted their own children. They, they didn't really want to delve with that. She wanted to continue her legacy. She says, now she can't continue her legacy, her family name. Until finally they came to the conclusion, you know, what else do we have? Let's try to go and adopt. And they call an adoption agency in New York. And they say, maybe you have somebody like, like they wanted an infant. They wanted somebody they could start from the beginning. And this way, you know, it will be part of the family. So the agency put them on the list and says, we'll let you know as soon as something turns up. A few weeks go by, and they get a phone call. And it says, by the way, somebody, a newborn came in that uh, the family wants to set up, put him up for adoption. Come immediately. So they go, and they start making their way out to Baltimore. They get to the, they get to the adoption agency, and they meet with the reception of this. Says, you know, we were the ones you spoke to with over the phone that were coming for this, you know, for, for this uh, newborn. And they were like, oh, we're so sorry. We tried calling you. The family changed their mind the last minute. They decided they're going to keep the child. So it wasn't a bait and switch, but they were like, while you're here, do you want to see our other merchandise? You know, like, what else we have? And uh, they, they were like, you know, so they said, we happen to have an eight-year-old girl, Miriam, who is, um, who is also up, I'm sorry, she was slightly older, so also up for adoption. Maybe you want to, uh, you know, meet her. And they were like, you know, it's older, it's a little bit difficult. We kind of really wanted a more of a newborn uh, so that they could sort of build with the family. And they were like, yeah, we understand. You know, that's what most people want. And not a problem, we'll keep you on the list. A year goes by, and nothing's happening, not with pregnancy and not with the adoption agency, until finally the Anya, speaking to her husband, Shaul, and she says, maybe let's revisit that. Maybe let's see if this girl, Miriam, is still available. All right, as she's still, uh, you know, still, you know, needing a home. And uh, they both agree, and they call up the adoption agency and says, you know, we heard about, uh, we were there last time, there was a girl, uh, you know, Miriam, we wanted to know if she's still up for adoption, we would like to consider that. So the adoption agency says, she said, she is, she is uh, still available, uh, but, I don't know if the terminology I'm using is way off, but yeah, she's still available. And uh, she says there's a little caveat because they found out that her brother, another survivor from the war, is also alive, six years old. His name is Moshe. And they said they're, they're a package deal. They're inseparable. You have to take them together. So they were like, two, I don't know. That's a lot to handle. Right in the beginning, he says, you know what? Let's go meet them. And they, they go down to Baltimore, and they meet them, and they decide, you know what? We're going to adopt them. And Anya and Shaul goes and brings the... Thank you guys for all the work and all the setup. Thank you. Anya, Anya and Shaul go to the, go to the adoption uh, you know, advisor, and they say, you know what? We're, we're going to adopt them. And they sign all the paper, they pack up their bags, and they bring them back home. 
and they show them where the rooms are, and they sit over there, and, you know, the Miriam, the eight-year-old, is walking around the house, and she's looking at the pictures, and then she stops by a certain picture, and she's like, why do you have um, a picture of my grandmother here? And she's like, uh, you know, so Anya's like, no, no, that's, that's my mother. And she's like, no, that's my grandmother. And she says, no, no, this is my mother. You know, like, you, you're going to call her grandma, but this is just my mother. And Miriam runs into her room, takes out a faded picture, and says, look, I have the same picture as you. And she's like, what? He's like, do you, you know, like, do you have any other pictures? And she starts taking out her pictures, and she sees, it turns out, that this was her sister Sarah's kids. Her sister Sarah had two kids. Everybody else perished in the Holocaust, but these two survived. And these two made it to New York. They were in Baltimore. And God says, you need to raise your sister's kids. But how are you ever going to go and adopt somebody? How are you able to go to New York? So God orchestrated a certain way that you're not going to be able to have children, at least yet. And God orchestrated that you're going to go down there. And nothing is going to come up until what happens, until God orchestrates it, that it says that, oh, you think you wanted to build a legacy? Your family name is not dead. Here you have kids still left over from your sister. And she went and she ended up raising her children. She unknowingly adopted her nieces, her niece and nephew. So look how Gaddish Bacha works. God is making Zivugim at all angles, at all areas. And it's so important for us to realize this. It's so important. We know this. We hear these stories. We sometimes see it in our own lives. But yet sometimes we fail to internalize it. We fail to realize, okay, you know what? God has a track record. He knows what he's doing. If I'm not married yet, there's a reason for that. If I'm not a billionaire yet, there's a reason for that. If I don't have any children yet, there's a reason for that. Not that I'm not going to try. Not that I'm not going to pray. Not that I'm not going to do whatever it is in my power to go to get to what I need to get to. But if you're in a certain situation, God put you there. It's You're there for a reason. There was a... Um, a woman by the name of Mary, that uh, she graduated from college and she wanted to be a teacher. And uh, she did very well in school. She was very well-liked and she knew that she could get almost any job. So she went and she started interviewing for a certain school. And a certain school went and they, they liked, you know, everything that uh, that she was offering and says, you know, we want to hire you. Says, but we can't tell you which position you're going to, which grade you're going to teach because... We don't know yet. Every year, there's a teacher usually that leaves, so we're putting you, whatever opening that comes, that's where you're going to go in. And she said, fine. And a few weeks go by, and the school calls her up, and he sa- and says, by the way, we found out that second grade teacher is leaving, so you're going to be teaching second grade. She says, great. She starts building her curriculum, she starts meeting with the school, everything is going great. Three days before school starts, the school calls her up, and says, we have some unfortunate news. It says, the teacher that left was supposed to go teach in another school, but that fell through, so she ends up staying. And we're sorry, but we don't have any opening to you. And she's like, Mary's like, what are you, what are you doing? She's like, I, I could have gotten 10 other jobs. She says, I, I took it because I thought I had something there. We're like, we're so sorry. I, I, you know, we have no openings. Well, I don't have anything to tell you. So unfortunately, she wasn't able to go and teach. She decided she was going to take some other job. She ended up taking some local job where she was a secretary. And uh, while she's sitting over there and she's working, she gets to meet her coworker, another secretary. And they start to become friendly. And a few weeks go by, and then suddenly she says, you know what? She says, you know, you're such a good person, such a good personality. Says, I have a brother. She says, maybe I could go and uh, set you guys up. She says, you know, I happen to be in the dating world. and dating. Uh, I am in Shadokim, so by all means. They go, they set her up, and she goes and she gets married. And you look how God orchestrated it. 
that she did not want to be in that area. She wanted to go work in a different school. God says, okay, I'm going to make it that you're not going to, you're going to end up working in this job where you never initially would have went into. And God orchestrated and put her in that situation. And because of that, she went and she met her husband. But the question that I ask you, for Jews ask questions on stories, right? Couldn't God just put a shatran? Like, did, did it have to be that way? Why not put a shatran and put her? And that brings us up to, to one of the original points we're bringing up. That it's not only setting up with the right person at the right time. You also have to be in the right emotional state. Because there are many times where people go out on dates, or people go to anything in life, buy a car, move into a different place, or, or whatever it is, and your answer will be no. Or your answer will be yes. But if you're in a different emotional state... Your answer could be 180 degree reverse. So God puts you also in an emotional state. So even though, yes, God could say, why did God have to do that? Let Mary just go and sit and work in her own job and God will send the Shatran who would go and set them up. And the answer is, well, at least one of the answers, that sometimes we need to be in a certain state. And that's why God orchestrates us based on our personalities, based on our, our, if we could say our moods, our upbringing, our psychology, and God moves everything around to put you where you need to be. I hope that you guys are realizing, I'm saying that again and again, where you need to be, because that is very, very important. A lesson that you have to take, at least from today, is you have to, you, you have to be where you are. And that's where you need to be, because that's where you are. I'm confused. Are you confused? Okay, good. So now, the concept of doing your hishtadlut, when we look at the imahot, wow, what's going on over here? You guys are so slow. Okay, so, always late. When I'm doing a class that's not live, it's, for some reason, I get it all sidetracked. Okay, so anyways, so when you look at the imahot, so you look at um, Rachel and Leah, the way that it was meant to be is you have Yaakov and Esav. And then you have Rachel and Leah. Well, actually, Leah and, and Rachel. And Rachel was supposed to marry Yaakov. Leah was supposed to marry Esav. When Leah heard that she was supposed to marry Esav, who was a wicked person, she, did, she was not happy with that. She went and she started praying and praying and praying and praying. And she didn't stop. She was crying so much that her, that her eyelashes fell out. She, her eyes were red. She didn't stop praying. She didn't stop crying. She didn't start begging God to please give her a righteous husband. So you know what happened? At the end, what happened was, is that Leah married Yaakov before Rachel. From all her prayers. Rachel never prayed for, for Yaakov because she was destined to marry him. But Leah went and she prayed and prayed. And what happened? Leah is the only one of the Imaot, the only one of the four mothers that did not ha- were not barren. She had children right away. And not only that, because it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Leah was hated and he opened up her womb. And she had six children. Of the six children, she had Le- the Levi, which Kohanim come, they, they serve in the Mishkan. They have uh, Yehuda, which is the Malchus based David, the, the Mashiach comes from that. She had huge Fatim. Because she didn't stop crying. She didn't stop praying. She didn't stop crying. The, you look at, at, um, at Rachel though, the question is, look what she gave up. She was sitting over there under the chupa and she was supposed to marry her husband Yaakov, but she did not want her sister Leah to be embarrassed. So you know what? She did the old sucheru and she went and she gave her husband to her sister so her sister shouldn't be embarrassed. So the question that we have to ask is then how come she was, was she barren? She was barren for so long until she was finally blessed with Yosef and Binyamin. Why was she barren for so long? And the answer is that Rachel was never supposed to have any children. She was not able to have children. But then it says that, that, God, uh, that God remembered Rachel. And what does it mean that he remembered Rachel? Rashi goes and says that he remembered that she gave up. She sacrificed herself for her sister, that her sister shouldn't be embarrassed. And because of that, she merited to have children. So meaning... 
that there's sometimes we need a certain merit. And not only that, you still see that she still had to go through years of not having children. Because there's sometimes that we have to go through certain things in life. And God builds it in a certain way that is the most beneficial for us. And he gives us an opportunity to capitalize on that opportunity to reduce our sentence. Rachel wasn't supposed to have any children. And because she went and she gave up her sister, she did not want her sister to be embarrassed, now she was going to have children. But yet, she still had to go through some suffering. She still had to go through some sort of barrenness stage of years of not having any children. There are so many periods in our lives, whether it's not getting married yet, whether it's not having children yet, whether it's not having a business yet, whatever it is that God is giving us an opportunity to capitalize on that moment. And many times we need that opportunity to either give us a tremendous blessing or to reduce suffering that we have. We have to realize that there are certain times, and during those times, which is are the difficult times, is the times when we need to capitalize it. So no matter who you are or where you are in your life, I could almost say on a daily basis, you have those opportunities. It's difficult. We don't ask for them. But those difficult opportunities are the opportunities that you could go and you could get so much merit that that could bring you your zivug, that could bring you your, you know, the, the children, that could bring you the panasa. There's so many things. We just have to open our eyes and capitalize on these moments. Rabbi David Asher brings down uh, a story about a man that he met that was on his way to his fifth grandchild, Bit Milah. And as he's going, the guy over here goes, says, you know, Rabbi, I want to tell you a story. This is four years ago, I had three daughters at home. I had a 27-year-old, a 24-year-old, and an 18-year-old, all not married. And we were going out of our mind. Why is going on over here that none of my children are getting married? And they decided they're tra- taking a trip to El Tisrael. And they go to Israel, and they go to, from one rabbi to another rabbi, and they pray all the grave sites, and they're doing everything that they need to do to break the heavens, to pray and cry and beg God for a shidduch for their children. While they're sitting over there by one rabbi, his phone buzzes, a guy from Brooklyn. He calls up and he says, and he says to him, he says, listen, I have a solution for you. He knew that he was going over there to find a zivuk for his children. So he says, I have a solution for you. And he goes and he says, there is a widow in the Bnebrak that is going and is marrying off a child and she doesn't have any money. You want the best, you want the best scenario, go and pay for the wedding. They don't have enough money, pay for that wedding and the merit for that, your children will go and get married. And the guy on the phone is like, listen, you know, I am over here already, but it's, that's a lot. I, you know, it's very difficult for me to go and pay for a whole wedding. I, I, you know, didn't have the flexibility. So the guy over the phone said, listen, says, if you don't want to do it, no problem, I'm going to do it. He says, I'm giving you the opportunity. So he's thinking about it for a second. He says, you know what? I want to do it. He's, I says, I want to turn every stone. I want to do whatever I can to get my children married. And they scheduled to meet this widow in Ibn Abak. And they go and they meet the widow and she tells her a little bit about the story. The husband recently passed away and they have you know, a bunch of kids that are trying to get married. No money in the bank. The guy feels very moved, writes out a check for the whole wedding. And he gives her the check. She starts getting the check. She starts you know, flowing her, tears are flowing down. And his wife, which was sitting also with them, also started crying. And they ended up hugging each other. One is crying out of happiness. The other one is crying for begging God to go and give her, give her children uh, you know, the right zivugim. And the, they're, they're speaking to each other, and this widow says, you know, I teach in school. And what we're going to do, because of what you did to me, every single day we're praying for your daughters. We're praying for your daughters that they will find the zivug. And they go and they pray and they pray. Four months go by, and the 18-year-old, the youngest one, which is now 19 years old, gets, gets, uh, gets engaged. And while they're you know, meeting with the family, the cousin of, this, of the chatan Starts meeting, you know, sees one of the other, you know, the sisters. And he says, you know what, I have a good uh, shidduch over here. And he goes and he ends up setting her up with somebody across the street from her house. Across the street, that's where he sets up. And they end up getting married. 
About eight months go by, and the father-in-law of the second of the second daughter goes and realizes there's a you know, and this is by the way, the, it went from lower to the 18-year-old got married first, then the 25, now the 27, which is now 28 years old. He sees. He, you know, he sees her and says, you know, maybe I have a good, a good shidduch for you. And they go and they set him up from who? Someone down the block. The whole time, their, their zivugim were right under their noses. But it wasn't the right time yet. Or maybe they needed that extra merit. And when he went and he gave that extra merit, he wrote out that check, he gave the charity for this widow, all of a sudden the doors opened up and things happened and they, and, and they got married. It's so important to go and open our eyes to capitalize on these moments. There are sometimes, yet I'm not saying go and pay for people's weddings and go into debt for that. If you're able to do that, not to debt. If you're able to pay, by all means you should, if you could. But you could do something. Open your eyes, open your eyes to something that you could do to help other people. There was a, um, a person that was very, very wealthy in London and unfortunately hit some rough times. And when somebody's on a high stature, it's very, very painful to let other people know that you lost all your money. So he calls up his friend and he says, listen, I need you to do me a... And he, and he opened up to him and says, you know, business is not doing well. I lost this, I lost that. He says, I need a loan of 100,000 pounds. And, uh, you know, to just to get me back on my feet. So his friend was also was wealthy. He says, no problem. He says, I'll, I'll write you a check, but I just need, you know, obviously two guarantors to sign off to, just in case you can't pay. So the guy's like, who am I going to ask? He says, I start off to ask, who's going to want to sign off on 100,000 pounds? So the other wealthy guy says, listen, just, you don't have to get two, get, get a few people, each will commit to a certain amount. He says, yeah, but then I have to start going, calling all my friends and my family. It's, gonna, it's so humiliating for me to go and to start opening up saying that I, I lost all my money. Can we please work out something else? And this wealthy guy's thinking, he says, you know what? He really felt bad for him. Thinking of himself in that situation, he would never want other people to know. And he really wanted to make it work out for his friend. He says, you know what? He says, I'll give you the money, and we'll sign off that the guarantor is going to be God. And he says, fine. Guarantor is God. They go, they meet up in his office. He signs, gives him a check for 100,000 pounds. He signs it off that God is the guarantor, and they go upon you know, their separate ways. The time comes when the debt has to be repaid, and the guy is not coming in to repay the debt. And a month goes by, so the guy calls him up, the wealthy guy calls him up, and says to his friend, says, you know, are you going to pay up the debt? And he says, yeah, you know, my, my investments are held up right now. I'm going to get it to you, but, but just give me a little bit more time. And he keeps on giving him a vague answer as months turn into, into more months and more months until finally this wealthy guy realized that he's not, getting, uh, he's not getting his money back. So he goes and he says, you know, let me go to the guarantor. And he goes over to God and he says, God, listen. He says, you're the guarantor for this, 100,000 pounds. He says, I don't want the money. So I have a 30-year-old daughter that's in Shidduchim and she's not able to get any dates. She's not able to get married. He says, just please do me a favor. Send me to the Zivug. We'll wipe the slate clean. Not, I think it was less than 30 days goes by and she's engaged. She was engaged to somebody. And they end up getting married. And about a month after that, the guy, the, the guy who borrowed the money had his investments paid off. And he came with a $100,000 check to pay off the, the, you know, his, his, uh, the person that he borrowed from. And the guy says, I'm sorry, but the, you know, the, your guarantor, I can't take the money. Your guarantor already paid me in full. He says, what do you mean to pay you full? So, you know, I have to pay the money. He says, you got to speak to him, not to me. I, I already got payment. And he says, how am I going to pay God? How am I going to pay my guarantor money? So what they decided that they're going to do is that that year was 2001. And it was the year of Shemitah in Israel. And the farmers weren't, you know, going and weren't able to produce any, any food. And they, you know, they were going based on donations. So they decided they're going to give the $100,000, the $100,000 pounds to this person, to the, to, the, um, uh, to the farmers. So the question that I want to ask you is like, so what made this person go and have the merit that his 
uh, daughter would go and, and uh, find the right zivug. Is it that he loaned him 100,000 pounds? Because that's a lot of money to loan. No matter how wealthy you are, it's a lot of money. Or maybe is it that he loaned it without any guarantors? Or maybe is it that he loaned it with a guarantor of God? Or maybe it is that he went and he asked payment from God. And if you want to ask my personal opinion, I think the merits, and again, who knows, but this is just, you know, thinking about it. The merit that came up over here when he was in a difficult situation, he was down 100,000 pounds and he went to the one above and he says, you're the one that the guarantor. He says, I'm going to turn to you who has everything and controls everything. And he went and he goes over to God and he says, please, in this merit, please let me go and have children. And I believe, and I'm sorry, I have a, get his book. And I believe that is where that merit came from. When you're in a difficult situation and you turn to God, that merit is huge. And like I said, God gives us these opportunities. You can't find a parking spot. You're in Brooklyn. You're in Avenue U. It's ridiculous. It doesn't matter if it's 10 o'clock at night. You can't find a parking spot. That is an opportunity. Pray to God. Be calm. Be happy. Whatever it is, utilize that opportunity. By the way, you could be the, such a tzaddik or tzaddikah if you just pray when you're looking for a parking spot. Especially if you live in New York. Pray. You're praying all day. You're basically praying all day. The, I want to finish off with one final thought. And that is, the Gemara Bachot, page 7a, goes and says... Ask world famous question, and that is, how can we see tzaddik veralo, a righteous person that is having a difficult time in their life? And the flip side, we see a rasha We see a wicked person having a great time in their life. Everything is going for them. How is that possible? And the Gemara answers something very, very interesting. It says you want to know why sometimes you see a righteous person having it very bad and a wicked person having it very good. The Gemara answers that the righteous person that is having it bad is the son of the wicked person. And the wicked person that is having it good is the son of a righteous person. Mm-hmm. Ask the Chassam Sofer, says, how does that answer the question? What? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, what's going on over here? How does that make sense? And ask the Chassam Sofer, what, what's going on? How do we go and answer it? And listen to this answer, and then it's going to all make sense to you. What is it when you have a person that's looking at life and saying, oh, this is bad? That means that that person doesn't have emunah. Because if a person is going in a situation and says, you know what, this is bad, that means that this person doesn't have a munah. Because if a person had a munah, realizes that everything is from God, and if God does everything, that means everything that does, God is for the best. Everything that God does, God does for the best. So how could it be that there is a righteous person that says that there's something bad? It's, an, it's a question that contradicts itself. If it's righteous, he can't say that it's bad. You understand the question? Because he would be righteous. He knows him or not. Answers of Chassam Sofer. That's what the Gemara is answering us. You know why? Because he's a righteous person, the son of a wicked person. Because why is it a wicked person? Because uh, uh, the, the wicked person did not teach his son Emunah. If he taught his son Emunah, then he would not have the question that it would be bad. On the flip side, sometimes you see a bad person that's having a good. How is it that he's having good? How come he's so happy? The answer is because his father and his mother taught him Emunah. And if he taught him Emunah, then everything is good. So the answer is, how come you see a tzaddik that is having it bad? That means that he must have a poor education. That he sees bad. If he sees bad, that means he's lacking Emunah. How come you see a, a, a wicked person that's having a good? Because he had a good education. And an education that taught him that everything that happens from God is for the best. And if it's happening to you, that means it's for the best. That means he's always happy. What, a, what an unbelievable, unbelievable lesson that we have to go to, to, to imbue into, onto our children. The gift of emunah. And if your parents didn't do that, you could do that to yourself. Teach yourself the power of emunah. Because when you have emunah, then everything is good. And that's why Hillel, as I can, when he went and he was walking the street and he heard people crying from his block. And he said, he said over here that he knows, let me read it for you, he's... Uh, I am positive that this screaming is not from my house. Question is, how did he know that? There were people that were screaming. There was a tragedy that was going on in the black. People were screaming. There were sirens. Everyone was going panic mode. 
He says, it must be it's not from my house. Why? Because I taught them emunah. And if something happens, that means it's for the best. And my family would have not have screamed because they knew that if God did this to us, God did it for a reason and it's for the best. So we have to each take that into our personal lives. That if God put us in a certain scenario, in a certain situation, that is for the best. Now, very, very important to listen to the second part of that same. Doesn't mean that we're not going to try. Doesn't mean that we're not going to get, go to get, you know, dates and that's not way we're going to go and try to improve ourselves or whatever it is. We have to do our Ishtadlut. We have to do it and we have to do it as our Victor Miller says, full force. It's on your head. It's a mitzvah and it's on your head. But where you are right now, this is from God. When you live your, your life this way, your whole being is going to change. Your whole being is going to change. And just to put like one aspect of like Hishtadlut, I had a friend of mine that he was, I don't want to say aggressive because that's a very like derogatory term. But like when he wanted something, he went to get it. And he wanted to go and get married. It was time for him that he felt that he wanted to get married. But the problem was he wasn't getting dates. I have never been some, seen somebody so out there. He's calling all his friends. He's like, maybe your wife can go and set me up with somebody. This guy hustled. This guy hustled. And you know what? Within six months, he was married. Now, I'm not saying that's what you should need to do, but he did his talut. He went, and he started making phone calls, asking his friends and asking this. He came over to my house, and he was like, okay, who do you got for me? I was like, line them up, you know? Behind curtain number one is, you know, standing at five foot two. You know, like, he was going and he went. And sometimes we have, that's what we have to do. We have to do our shtadut. But if we're not there yet, you have to know that this is where God wants you to be. Fine line, but very important to play both sides of that line. Okay, now we'll open up to any questions. We'll start off with live questions, and then I don't know how to get to the chats over here. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and then we'll do, uh, if there's any questions here. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, thanks. Okay, live questions. Yes. You had a question? After camera. Off. Anybody have a, a question on camera? I guess I'll ask it on whatever. So what about for people who are not really like, I don't know, I guess it's like, I don't know if it's bad to say, but not destined to get married. Like it's not for them, like it's not in the books for them. So that's a good question. What about somebody who doesn't have a zivug? It is possible, yes, but it's not common. It's not common. Uh, I'll tell you where the bigger problem is. It's not, because if it's already in the next world. First of all, even those people who come into this world without, let's say, a zivug, their, their purpose, they could do chuvat to a certain extent that they will get married. They could change that. So, but I'll tell you where the problem lies. Or the problem lies is where you have people that are, in their own mind, they think they would, they're never going to get married. So they are, it's like somebody who goes and drinks alcohol, gets behind the car, and gets into an accident and says, okay, obviously this is what God wanted to be. I'm like, no, you're an idiot, you're negligent, and God didn't want you to go and crash into this, whatever, nice old lady. You did it on yourself because you're an idiot. So there's sometimes that we cause negligence for ourselves. So sometimes you see people that are older, and let's say they never got married or whatever it was, and it's very possible that it was, it was your fault. It's very possible that it was your fault. That's a big price you know, to pay on your conscience. So obviously you have to, if you did everything that you need to, then you know it's not in your control anymore. But you have to do what you need to. And that's why it's so important that you know, when you're in a dating situation, sometimes it's hard to think clearly because you're involved. And sometimes you need to go and ask. And that's what parents are for, even friends, rabbis, mentors, things that you could go bounce ideas. What do you think about this? I had people that have come to me and they said, okay, what do you think about this situation? And they thought that it was the biggest red flag. And I'm like, that's nothing. And then they, they mentioned like passing something else. And I was like, whoa, 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 back that up again? 
What did you say about, you know, robbing from a grandmother? Like, go back to that? They're like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You just needed a... T-. You know, like, what do know? You know, like, sometimes people are so in it that they don't know what's a red flag and what's not. And I've come to scenarios where, like, no, that... you Please look into that. You know, like, he should not beat his mother. You know, like, that's a problem. You know, that's not something that is okay. So, it's something that we have to realize that there's sometimes when you're in the situation, it's hard for you to say, okay, you know, you know, think outside of the box because you're in the box. So sometimes it's good to, to play around with it and see what's the correct response to do in certain scenarios. Sometimes you don't need it. Sometimes you're a genius and you know everything and, you know, people should come to you, which, you know, I'm not saying that as a joke. I mean that seriously. Like sometimes people are good at giving advice. So it depends on it. Yeah. Um, Would that answer your question? Uh. But you're basically saying that everybody technically has somebody. There's somebody for everybody. A person comes into this world with the other half. Every single person. Every single person. Yeah, generally. It says that in the Torah? Yeah, you come in. You come in with a zivug. There's a, you're, one, you're not even one soul. You're sort of like half of a soul. And when you marry, you reunite with that. You sort of complete that soul. You feel so? Do you feel it? <laughs> depends on your mood, I guess. <laughs> um, depends on his mood. Uh, well, no. Yeah, you are. If you're attuned to spirituality, if you're attuned to spirituality, you do feel things. You do feel it. The more that you're in touch with your spiritual sense, and this, by the way, this is not only Judaism. Any whatever meditation is the same concept. When you're in touch with the more spiritual or yourself or your center, whatever you want to talk about, from psychology to meditation to whatever the, you, you think about, you notice different. I'll get you. You notice different things, and you're you're more keen to certain to certain senses. Yeah. Okay, so go do it afterwards. So, I, so, yeah. so someone asked, is it true you can lose um, or say, slash, say no to your zivug, and under what circumstances? Yes, so it is possible, um, very difficult, but it is possible that you just say no to everybody. And, you know, your zivug came knocking on your door, and you're like, nah, next, not interested. And after 120, be like, God, what do you do to this to me? Like, I came over here and nobody came. I'm, God's like, I literally sent them knocking on your door. We have, it's very important, we have free will. We have the ability to ruin our lives. We have the ability to make our lives. So yes, we do have the ability to mess things up. But at the same point in time, even if we mess things up, we have the ability to, to fix it. So even if you feel like you messed up, and by the way, this is very, very common, especially people that have been dating for a while, feel that, you know what, I could have married this person or that person. I, I messed it up. You should not think like that, especially if that other person's married. You know, <laughs> definitely don't think that way. If it's not married, okay, whatever. Then speak to Shalham. Maybe you could uh, you revisit that. And I'll get in a second. So it's very, very important that if they moved on, they married somebody else, move on, Pat, move on with that. You realize that if they married, that's what was meant for them. But again, just because you're in a situation doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn from that situation. Learn it from the next person. Maybe you should be a little bit more keen to that. And I'll get you in a second, but we have over here. What if you don't believe in dating? What if you believe in just like falling in love? Like, I should a him is not like for me. Like, just There's, meeting somebody like at a coffee shop. So the, what's the difference if it was set up or the, 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 the concept of falling in love... I don't know if I'm happy that you said that or I'm telling you that because I can get on a whole rampage on it. Um, the falling in love aspect, because you have people that fall in love and then people that fell out of love and then they get divorced because they couldn't find love and then they fell in it like and then they got hit by love. Like showing you're like so desperate to get married and it's like... Not, it's just the opposite. I'll tell you why I'm such a fan of Shiduchim. It's because when you go on a Shiduch date, you're thinking with this. You're like, okay, does this make sense? Obviously, your heart comes into it, and you shouldn't marry somebody just because this makes sense. You know, everything makes sense on paper. It must be that. No, no, no. You have to have an emotional connection. You have to have... I don't believe that you could love somebody until you lived with that person. And again, 
you should only do this after you're married. <laughs> I don't believe that you can love somebody without actually going through the difficulties. It's not enough like... When people say, I love this person, you don't love that person. You love the way that person makes you feel. So I love me, and I like the way you make me feel. When you say you love fish or you love steak, you don't love fish or steak because you wouldn't eat it, right? You don't want to eat something that you love. You love the way that it makes you feel. So when we say we love somebody or we love something, we don't really love that person. We love the way that person makes me feel. And that's why people go and they say, oh, I feel out of love. Meaning that he stopped making me feel the way that I like to feel, so now I don't like him anymore. So basically, it's a very selfish act. That's why the strongest love is not between a husband and wife. It's between a father or a mother to a child. Because that is not based on what you're giving to me. That's based on what I am giving to you. So the aspect over here of falling in love, yes, it's very important. And it needs to be in a marriage. And and in some sense, to some sense, in, in the dating world as well. However, when you're going, and let's say you're just meeting somebody. So... You're, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm against that. But there is a benefit when it's shiduchim, when you're starting to think with here, and then you're starting to think with your heart. As opposed to first starting to think with your heart. People get close to people before they even see them, before they even think of any intellectual. They're not dating, they're just like getting to know each other. So they get this emotional connection, and then they're, they're already attached. But then they're like, there's so many things that are wrong with this person for you, but you can't think. But how can they make these quick decisions within one or two months and get engaged? So if somebody needs more time, you need more time. You don't have to go on two dates. It's like more like six months or three months, and then you hear wedding bells. I don't know. If you, if you're, if you're, you will never know a person. You could date this person for seven years and only later find out that they collect bones. Seven years, like at least like a year. You know, I don't know how people do that, like make such rash decisions and then say, oh, I married the wrong person. And you hear a lot of divorces. So when you go, and let's say the the way that shidduch dates are, it's not like, let's say the secular world. So what's a secular date? They go to a movie, meaning that they sit in total silence for two hours or just in the same vicinity. And then maybe they grab something and they drop it off at home. That was a date. You know, like, what, what was that? We were just next to each other for a period of time. You don't get to know each other. So in a shidduch date, in a shidduch world, you're getting to know the other person. It's not just, by dating somebody from six months to a year is not going to make that much of a difference. If you're not keen enough to pick up the cues on that, then you're not going to pick it up by a year. Because there's a certain period of time that, yeah, you need to. Because there's a period of time where you're like, let's be honest, faking it. And you're like, yes, I always stand and walk like this and talk in proper grammatical English. You know, as opposed to like four months down the line, you know, you're sitting over there with a sweatshirt and, you know, whatever it is, and you're sitting over there, spaghetti still in your hair, and this is who you are. But before that, you have to prepare, you know, 17 hours beforehand, you don't sleep, to make sure that this, so everybody fakes it. The guy finds a shirt that he never wore before, he makes sure that it's ironed and he never wears iron shirt, and all of this, so we're all faking it until a certain period of time. So yes, there is a certain area, but after that, if you use your brain, you could pick up, okay, is this guy good for me or is this guy not? You're always going to find issues. But it's not going to be like, oh, if I would have dated this person for another two years, I would have figured it out. If you couldn't have figured it out within the first few months, then you probably wouldn't have figured it out for the next few years. Unless it would have, unless again, it was a serial killer, whatever, we're not talking about that, those things. So, yeah, and then we had, we had also a question over here. Um, I don't know if this is like a two-parter or a three-parter, but you were saying how if someone is married and they feel like that's not their zivug, um, they should just continue being married. Um, is that like, unless there's like no over, um, I guess, abuse, right? Because I know I also heard, I feel like I heard from you that you, um, there are like seven um, soulmates that a person has, and based on what level they're at, it's going to be like, let me, let me re-scratch this and let me find another one. 
um, so let me actually let me actually cor- uh, like like clarify that. If you're in a bad relationship, it doesn't mean that you should just continue being in a bad relationship. The goal is to fix that relationship. If it can't be fixed, then possibly divorce to a certain scenario. But fixing it doesn't mean, okay, let's try to fix this. If you're in a situation where it's bad, and it, I don't mean just like, let's open a book and see what we... That's where therapy, marriage therapy comes in. It's very, very important. I push that a lot. People think that they're not compatible for each other, but they've never done therapy anymore. they never done... And they fight about the stupidest little things, and they think that they're incompatible. Hold on. Hold they think on. that they're. Then, uh, they, it was, I was fine. I'm going to continue. I'm not going to recap that. It's going to be on camera on uh, the Torah time. So there are certain. Um, there are certain. Okay. So there are certain um, scenarios where you have to. You're required to fix it. No one says you should not be in a bad marriage. You should not be in a bad marriage. Fix it. If you can't fix it, then you speak to the rabbi, to the marriage therapist. Okay, what should we do at this point? Not to just be like, okay, this is where God wants me to be. So I'll, even, you know, no, that's, that's very wrong. You're not going to be able to live a successful life if you're in a bad... It says happy wife, happy life. It's, it's happy marriage, happy life. If, happy spouse. Happy spou- oh, there we go. I like that better. <laughs> happy spouse, happy house. Okay, so... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're almost... Uh, did I answer that question? Yeah, and about those seven soulmates, is that yeah, don't etch a sketch it and be like, let's try this one more time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm divorced myself, so I was just curious. It's you, whole, oh, can you still marry your soulmate? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can. Yes, you can still marry a soulmate. And you could shouldn't... Be that the first person, could it be that the first person was not their soulmate and it was just... I wouldn't think like that. that I wouldn't think like that. Yeah. If you got married, there was a reason that you had to be married. That's how you should think it. It didn't work out for whatever reason. Okay, now let's move on to, to the next thing. There's, there's many scenarios where a person, let's say, goes into business, and the business goes and fails, but because of that, they were successful in the other business. Right. So Definitely, every, every relationship has, that, has its own lesson that you learn from. Yeah, and you are supposed... If Don't think that I made a mistake, because then you're beating yourself up. Not saying you shouldn't learn from your mistakes, but don't beat yourself up like, oh, if I would have done... People live in the if world. If I would have done this, then I would have gotten that. That's, that's wrong. That's not the Jewish way to think. Don't think the if and when and but. You think of where I am right now. Yes, I have to fix my past. That's what Shuvah is. Shuvah is I have to fix where I was before. But now I learn from where I am right now. So you needed to marry that person for whatever reason. Now you're in this state. Now how are you going to go grow from here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you okay, so I have like three questions here. Um, someone said if someone is put in a situation and she reacts with anxiety, does that mean she doesn't have a Nuna? That's a good question. So the question is, if somebody goes and is in a situation and the response is anxiety, does that mean that there's lack of emunah? Not necessarily, because some people are more prone to anxiousness. Uh, so they get anxiety very, very common. However, that if you work on emunah, that will reduce your anxiety, guaranteed. Sometimes people need medication to reduce anxiety. Sometimes it's not only emunah, sometimes it's other aspects as well. So I don't want to say, because the problem is if I go and say that, oh, yes, if you have anxiety, it means you're lacking emunah. That means that the person who is taking prescription medication will say, you know what, now I don't need this anymore. I'm going to learn living emunah by Rabbi David Asher every single day, and that's it. I don't need emunah. I'm going to listen to Torah anytime, classes on emunah. I don't need any more. No, no, no. Sometimes you need the, the, you know, the prescription. You need to go to a therapist. But at the same point in time, if you fix yourself on emunah, I guarantee you the anxiety will go down. You said that there is a zibuk for every person. What about the older singles, for example, those in their 50s? Does that mean that they aren't doing their hishlat? <laughs> no, the, yeah. so the, if somebody's older, it doesn't mean that they, a person should never give up. 
there was, um, you know, people in, I believe in the 80s or 90s that I was reading about that they, they got married recently. Like, in the, they were waiting, I guess, for all the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids to get out of the house. And then they decided they're going to go. But they ended up getting married to, you know, whatever, to somebody, whatever else. It doesn't mean no matter how old you are, it's not, if you're still alive and kicking, then yes, you have the ability. Again, there's some people that maybe don't want, I don't want to speak to, you know, to each their own. There's some, somebody, let's say, who had a marriage and then the spouse passed away and I'm not saying that they're required to go and get, I'm not speaking about that. But if you're older and you want to get married, by all means, do not give up. You do, you do not, you're not supposed to give up. No matter where you are in your life, you have the ability to go and get married. Yes, there is a zivug for that, uh, for that person. Okay. There's, ah, there's, there's like proof that that's true. Oh, should I? Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, questions let's. Yeah, you can. If you want to say this story, you can say this story. Um, no, no, it's on camera. Oh, uh, uh-huh. well, it's uh, not recorded. Okay. This is not recorded. That's being recorded. Oh, you can hear me. Oh, got the camera. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't process that. Sorry. Um, okay. Uh, um, I think it was my boss's sister, who was in bar park. They're Hasidish, so you're not know, Hasidim. They get married, you know, quickly, like quicker. Yeah. But he had a sister. His sister was 40. His sister was 40 years old. And to the point where, like, the other family members would be embarrassed to, like, invite her places because she wasn't married and she was, like, a lot older. It's a huge oh, no. stigma. It's a yeah, huge stigma. Yeah. She it's ended up huge. getting engaged to a guy that lived two blocks away from her that was in the same field as her at the age of 40. Oh. Two blocks away. In Borough Park. And it was the most craziest thing ever. It happened before Corona. It was, like months before corona and the family was so happy i don't i don't know why i said with a question mark no they were happy <laughs> <laughs> and and not even the family was so happy the girl herself was just like this is the person i was supposed to be with and like it clicked for her and yeah so you, will be you, know, you should know also there are some times where it's not the right time and sometimes people need to get married older. That's what's destined for them, that they should get married older. I, I know of a, a situation personally where a person went out with a date with a, with a woman and he or she said no. And then like six or seven years later, they went out again and then they got married. So it wasn't the right time. When it comes to dating and marriage, there's always a lot of questions. I don't even have to give a class. It could just be Q&A. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Um, but for another day. So, should you date every person you get read to? No, so that's a good question. Should you date, because you're Shadu, should you date everybody that comes to your plate? Not necessarily. If somebody is way out of left field, there's no reason for you to just like, okay, let's try this and let's try that. But where you're coming into a scenario where you're like, no, 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 you're overly picky, then you have to go and, and focus on it. So, really, that type of question is really personalized. It depends on the person. Some people, go, and they say yes to everybody, and they shouldn't. Some people say no to everybody, and they shouldn't. You have to do it smart. You have to be smart. Where are you going to be picky and where you're not going to be picky? What's right to say no for and what's what's right to say yes for? So it's something that you have to, and if you feel like you're not sure, this is where you speak to a dating coach, a rabbi, I don't know, parents, friends, whatever it is. This is where you try to get assistance. And then I think this is the last one. Um, what about if one person feels like the other is a zibug, but he or she doesn't agree? What do you do then? You take a bat. What? Take a bat. <laughs> and you make them believe. <laughs> I'm the one for you. I'm the one for you. Um, 
No, so it's mutual. Um, if you think, and that's, by the way, you know the easiest answer that if you go and you're dating somebody and you want to continue dating, the other person says, no, I'm not interested anymore. So yes, obviously do the hishta, do that you need to. But if it doesn't work out, realize that this wasn't meant to be. Because if it would have meant to be, then God would have made it that it worked out. You can't start going and convincing the other person. And you, Yes, you can try. There's nothing wrong with going with, let's say, people break up and then they try to go out again. And they say, you know what? And I, I come to this, there's many, many times where a couple goes out, and let's say he feels that she's the one for him, but she's like, no, uh, it's not really working out, and they break it off. And about a month goes by, and he calls up the Shabbat and says, can you reach out to the girl again? And she says, no, I'm not interested. We, we broke it up. And he's like, no, you don't, you know, and he goes and he explains and says, you understand, I was in, in a, an emotional, well, you know, place right then. I was too preoccupied. I wasn't myself. Let me go and let me uh, re- you know, let me, let's try to revisit it because I'm in a different place. So there's many times where that could work and there's no problem with that. Um, but the easiest example is if the person got married, leave that. It doesn't mean like, you married my soulmate. I'm sorry. You know, like, uh, you know, you should, you know, move on from those scenarios. So again, same concept that there's hishtadlut that you have to make, but there's also a line of where you are, where you have to be. One, one oh, yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's all right. Um, what about when a man was allowed to have more than one wife? Are they both zibuk? So, in a sense, yes. Yeah. Um, the, and this is really another answer to that question, is that there's many different parts of the soul. So there could be, and this is where we, the aspect of we understand that there is multiple zivugim also. Because the, the, the soul is, it, it can break apart. And we're also, we're, for example, we're in Itzutz, we're a spark of the soul of Adam. Adam was one soul, and we're each part of that, of that one, one soul that, that was broken up to 600,000, and so on and so forth. So there is, a, um, there is an aspect that there was you know, multiple soulmates, and that's what was going on back then. But again, that's not a practical... The reason why I don't like answering that question is because, especially for a guy, a guy will go, okay, you know, I'm married, but maybe I, that's my other soulmate. You know? And then they start looking, unfortunately, for other soulmates while they're still married. So that's very problematic. So... The, that's why I try to avoid answering those type of questions. So if you're married, that's the only one that's meant for you, nobody else. Don't start thinking, okay, well maybe, you know, like I said, I had a guy over there that was going in the wedding hall and start, uh, you know, scanning the other sides. So, you know, some not people... Uh, not his wedding. No, no, no. Thank God it wasn't his wedding. <laughs> so, you know, you go over there and say, well, you know, what's going on? What are you, what are you looking at for? So your wife's not here. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for my soulmate. And, and I'm like, yeah, your wife is home. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I'm still looking for my soulmate. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, your soulmate is already in your house. Stop looking, all right? There are certain people that keep on looking. That's not healthy. You are where you need to be. You're married. That's your soulmate. Don't think anything more, you know, add that. There's, there's very important to get clarity on certain things. But there are many times where you ask yourself questions where you bring yourself just to, like, you know, bad relationship problems. The what if? Well, maybe there's someone better out there. Like, stop thinking like that. No, no, no. You marry the perfect person for yourself. Yeah. Um, no, this is... Okay, it's very much done. Somebody said thank you. Someone else said, this rabbi... I need to hear this rabbi again. Is there a chat that can be added? Okay, that's that's me. I'm going to take care of that. Okay. But where else can they check you out? On Torah Anytime or... His name is Rabbi Zitron. Yeah. Uh, you can check on Torah Anytime. That's the main thing. But it's also on podcasts. Well, it's not really so up to date. Um, YouTube also, whatever. Yeah. Basically on... Oh, yeah, YouTube has a thing. Yoshua? Yeah, Yoshua Zitron. Yoshua Zitron on Torah mm-hmm. Anytime. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yes, you had a question. Okay. Do you have a question to say? Um, okay. Uh, what about people that are like, let's say they were widowed? And they got married a second time. 
and the person is not Jewish? That's a good question. I don't know if you had to go through the whole widow thing. You mean if they married a non-Jewish person, did they marry a soulmate? Yeah, kind of. Like, uh, is that considered an, an Avera? Yes, absolutely. If he, he married a non-Jewish yep. person, but she converted. Oh, converted to something else. Real she conversion? Con- yeah, she converted. She converted just to marry him, or she converted? Uh, well, it, it doesn't matter. That that. She but, converted to get married. But if she really converted, are they religious? So then she didn't really convert. Okay. So, um, well, I don't know. Maybe she converted for one point in time. If, if it was conversion, then by all means, there, you can marry. A, a non-Jew can convert to, uh, to a Jew, and then she gets, like, there's a special soulmate. There's a special nishamayi also that goes into whatever. It's the same thing for a Jewish woman and non-Jewish woman and a non-Jewish man. If they have their own, uh, yeah, in a sense, yeah. They're also, they also have their own uh, um, no, soulmates. If, if, um, if, uh, if of a Jew? A Jew. Yeah. A Jew mm-hmm. should always realize that your zivuk is another Jew. It's never going to be that your zivuk is a non-Jewish person. Oh, it's possible that somebody will convert and that will be your zivuk. It's possible, but not before they're Jewish. Before they're Jewish, they're not your soulmate. Uh-huh. So, what if you have like certain family members that married non-Jewish people, but they're happy in their marriage? That means they're not, soul- they're not, yeah. not their zivuk. No. Yeah, that means there's a poor woman or man that's <laughs> looking for their zivug over there, and they're sitting over there with Christy. Are you being and yes, I'm very serious. Yeah, intermarriage is no joke. Um, there are many people just because they're happy, right? Just because they're happy doesn't mean that. No, I won't say mess it up. I, they to, had a chuppah and everything. That wasn't real because they're not Jewish. You can't marry a non-Jewish the girl person. Girl is Jewish, but he he's not Jewish. Right. So the kids are Jewish, but he, yeah. the, the father is not. But whatever it is, it's like yeah, that's a very very big problem. It, just because they're happy doesn't mean anything. There are many people that are extremely happy taking cocaine. It doesn't mean that cocaine <laughs> is good. Um, you know. <laughs> I got it. So, so it's, and I'll get you in a second. So there is, just because they're happy doesn't mean it. And there's, this is, by the way, I'm happy you said that because sometimes people in a, in a marriage that they're not happy and think I didn't marry the soulmate. Your own happiness doesn't mean whether you marry the right or wrong person. It depends on how you deal with that relationship. Some people are really, really, really bad at relationships. They're very selfish. They can't think of other people. So, like, no matter who they marry, it's going to be difficult for. So it's not that because you're happy or you're not happy, you know you found the right person. No, sometimes your situation is not to be the most happiest, and you have to work on it. Ultimately, you could get to that, per- to that level of happiness. It took a turn for the dark. Yes. <laughs> but it's good, it's good. I'm happy they... That would be on a personal, that has, that type of question where, let's say a family member marries and how to deal with that family member and how, that is a case by case and how to deal with that. It's, I I don't want to say what you should do. Yes, there is a pro and con to each of those scenarios. Um, the best thing is to get a rabbi involved. I know many times the problem is that they are not interested in listening to a rabbi. But the rabbi could guide you on what to do and what is the most appropriate. 
to do in that in that particular scenario. So that type of scenario has to be in a case by case because it also it depends on the relationship. It depends on what's going to be out. It also right now they don't have any. There's like so many flying you know different variants that that. It's difficult, you know. I mean, Jewish, he, he believes that he's Jewish, but he doesn't believe in any form of religion. He, like, spiritual? I guess spiritual, but he feels like like any religion is a cult type of thing. So, I don't know. But he's gone to his father, who, his parents are divorced. He's gone to his father, who does Shabbat and all of that, but he's also celebrated Christmas with his mom. So... That, by the way, should teach anybody on who's thinking about, not that I, I don't know who's listening to this class and wants to marry a non-Jew, but if you are, thank you for joining, um, and don't do it, don't marry the non-Jew. Um, not that because they're bad people, it has nothing to do with how good they are, but it's so conflicting to the children also. Kids know don't know what to do, they're lighting a Hanukkah candle right next to the Xmas tree. Right, and they're like... Right. All right, one piece out. That's it. There's no more questions? Okay. Any other questions over here? No? Okay. Almost shut it off. Oh, like you literally just wrote it. Okay, like 10 seconds ago. To what extent should a person do for Hishmurda? Um, a person has, so the question is, this is a question that we are going to discuss in the coming classes on how much, what is Ishtadlut, what is effort, and how much should a person do? It's, it depends. Um, the general easiest answer is it has to be proportional to all the Ishtadlut you do, everything else. So if you do a certain Ishtadlut for Panasa, that's the same amount of level of Ishtadlut you should do for dating. If you do a certain, so in your life, the way that you realize how much Ishtadlut you do and everything else, that's the way you should plug it into, to, to this scenario. The, the easiest way to though understand it and think about it is that you have to do your effort. Put yourself out there, reach out to Shatranim, go to coffee's house. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. No, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to be to start looking around, you know, like taking notes. Um, no, putting yourself out there, you know, asking people to set you up, you, they, just, just doing whatever it is that you have the ability to do in your, in your scope, let's call it that way. Okay. The kosher way. Don't go to clubs and say, this is my shtadlut. <laughs> I didn't right? know he wasn't Jewish. Yeah, oh yeah. We're good? Okay. Right. We'll finish off with a blessing that everybody here who needs a zivug should find a zivug. Whoever is married already should realize that they are the right with the right ones. And it should be an unbelievable, successful uh, marriage and life. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.